Hey everyone, welcome to Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Brie Marie from livingbrilliant.com. I'm a blogger, online course creator, a mindset and success strategist, and now a podcast host. This podcast is all about how our mindset creates the reality of every aspect of our lives, from money, to relationships, to careers, to entrepreneurship, and even our health and wellness. I know firsthand just how powerful our mindset is, and just how easy it can be to get lost in the complexities of life. Through my own journeys with anxiety, a tough career transition, building a blog from scratch, and a super shaky start with online entrepreneurship, I've been able to connect with experts, coaches, entrepreneurs, and other bloggers from all around the world who are now excited to share their transformational stories and mindset shifts with you. So let's jump in. Hey guys, so if you can't tell by my voice, I'm sick. I've been sick for the last like three days, just a head cold. Nothing too serious. I've taken about 19 Benadryls. I'm so over-exaggerating. I take the children's Benadryl, by the way, because it doesn't make you super drowsy. Pro-allergy tip. Um, I've grown up with allergies. I'm very allergic to pollen. Like, basically, I'm allergic to a lot of things. Um since I was a kid and <laughs> growing up, like I would still have to be able to do things, but certain medic, I don't like taking Claritin or Zyrtec or like any of those things like can like consistently. It just like really messes me up. So when I would have like an allergy attack and I would have to still show up and like work and do things as I got older, I would take, I would take a children's Benadryl and it works perfectly. It takes the edge off of your sniffles, <laughs> but it doesn't make you too drowsy. Definitely wouldn't recommend driving. Like you can get a DUI if you, if they, if they like, cause you know, it's like making you drowsy. You shouldn't be driving. There's a disclaimer there. Um, but yeah, I just take half a Benadryl, but I've taken two chewable. <laughs> I sound like a, such a child. Two chewable grape tablets. Um, so I'm a little bit loopy. I have a fireplace going and a fireplace. I have a fire going, so I think I feel like you can hear it in the background. This is hopefully going to be my last episode with my gym headphones because um, the company that I ordered my microphone from, they're on holiday until January 2nd, which good for them, not complaining. So I'm going to, I set a, a reminder on my calendar to give them a call. So I hope this is the last episode where I'm sounding all muffly and scratchy and sick. (laughs) Just a mess. Um, but this is part two. I had recorded, okay, hold on back up. So I had recorded like this long thing that was like 15 minutes and it was just like me rambling. And I was like, oh my gosh, we need, I need to tone it down. We can't do this. But I wanted to say that I found my new favorite snack because this episode is about food and it is about health and body image. So I'm going to give you my new favorite snack. It's nothing, um, it's not innovative. Okay. I'm not like an Elon Musk of snacks, um, but I haven't had this in a really long time. Like since I was a kid is pretzel sticks with peanut butter. 
I like Justin's peanut butter. If you are, I don't know if they sell it internationally, but if you're in America, there's this peanut butter called Justin's peanut butter. It's like all natural and organic. I bought it at Whole Foods. It was like $7, which is ridiculous for peanut butter, but it's so good. And it's just for me. So it should last for a while. I think there's only like two ingredients. So there's another like processed crap in it. And it's just so good. It's so good. So yeah, and that's when I'm, you, you take the pretzel stick and you dunk it in the peanut butter. It's amazing. I feel like my mom used to make this for me when I was a kid, like an after, after school snack. And now I'm 26 and <laughs> I'm like being like, wow, this is like such a good combo. So on the topic of food, what if I just like went in and out of accents throughout the whole thing? How like funny would that be? I can't do accents. I really wish I could. Like if I could be like Meryl Streep, Sophie's Choice, wow. wow. Like that put her on the map, like with accents. Anyway, um, no, oh, now I forgot what I was going to say. We're on the topic of food and you guys, this episode is so important and I strategically made these episodes come out around the holiday times because I know so many, I'm a woman, obviously, and I have a lot of women in my life, both as friends and as business people and as mentors. And I know, I know that around this time, women are particularly harsh to their bodies. I know I am. And I just felt like this was really necessary because I'm over it. Like I'm over feeling guilty about the food that I eat, about ev like everything basically. Like I'm over feeling guilty about eating a freaking pretzel stick and peanut butter at 9.30 at night. I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> That's going to be my motto. Um, but Delphine really emphasizes this deep, unwavering love for your body and dropping the guilt. And the more that we continue to restrict ourselves by saying like, oh, I shouldn't or I can't or I, you know, don't I can't eat that. I can't have that. The more you're going to want it. Um, there's like a whole science behind it. But again, I want to like preface this. There's a trigger warning if you have if you are someone who has dealt with body issues um, or eating disorders in the past, this episode does contain content that could be that could be triggering. And Delphine and I are not doctors, so anything that is said on this podcast shouldn't be misconstrued as actual medical advice. And we would encourage you to seek out medical attention or consult with your primary care physician uh, instead of listening to us. Basically, is what I'm saying. Um, but really, Delphine has been such an amazing influence just in the short amount of time that I've known her. And I know, I don't know, you know, if you're new to this podcast, this episode, I've mentioned this in past episodes, that before I even hit record, I always like to schedule a pre-interview with someone because I like to know who I'm talking to, what they're about, get their vibe, really figure out what they can really bring to the audience. And Delphine and I, our first conversation was like close to three hours. Like she was, she's just absolutely amazing. I adore her. I think that the work that she's doing right now for women of all ages, of all sizes, is so incredibly important. But going back to my whole guilt thing, I didn't finish this little, I need to finish this bit because it's been weighing on my mind. 
In the last episode, which if you haven't listened to the last episode, you should probably start there. It's really great. But in that episode, we talk about how women do things not for men. Like a lot of guys think like, oh, like she puts on makeup for me. Uh, No, we fucking don't. It's really one for ourselves. And two, it's for other women. It's like we want to be complimented on our highlight. We want to be complimented on our nails. And it's not by dudes. It's by other girls. I love when girls are like, oh my God, I love your eyebrows or I love that nail color. And I try to give, I try to reciprocate as much as I, as much as I take. I tell girls at Starbucks, like the drive-thru, I love their nail colors all the time. <laughs> like that's where I get a lot of my nail color inspiration is through Starbucks drive-thrus. Um, and I just want to make this emphasis that women do a lot as far as appearance goes, way more than dudes. We have hair in all sorts of ungodly areas. I shouldn't say that, you know, we have hair in areas that we get taken off every month on our face, in between our legs, on our armpits. It's not, if I've seen guys go in to get their eyebrows waxed and they're like coming out like tears coming down. Are you kidding me? Are you, I could make a really dirty joke right now. I'm not. You can't say those things. <laughs> um, but yeah, women do a lot. We get our hair done. We get our nails done. We get our toes done. We get waxes. We get facials. We get extractions. We get, we can get fillers and Botox and boob jobs. And like we work out the last thing that I want to feel guilty. I don't do all of those things, by the way. But general, like overgeneralizing here, the last thing that we should feel guilty about is eating a fucking French fry or eating a piece of pizza. Get over it. And your body is not going, unless you have like an actual medical condition, right? Like this is overgeneralization here. Um, it's not going to be the end of the world. And the more that we emphasize that if you eat these foods that it's so bad for you and you're going to gain weight and like... You know, I can look at something, I smell something, and I gain five pounds. What Delphine really offers at women is a sense of allowing and accepting your body and really loving yourself. If you're going to eat a French fry, eat a French fry and don't feel guilty about it. You're going to enjoy the French fry a million times more if you're not thinking about, oh my god, I'm going to gain five pounds from eating this French fry. Like, it's just... Eat what you want. The more you continue to restrict, 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 the more you're going to crave those foods. So that is really what Delphine and I talk about in this podcast and also with just a ton of other really important um, factors when it comes to overindulging and how to move past that and cultivating a sense of self-love throughout the rest of the year. I don't want to continue to ramble, so we're going to jump into part two of the episode. I hope that you guys enjoy it. All of Delphine's links will be in the episode description, so if you're on iTunes, you can just swipe up and all of her links will be there. If you guys like this episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email to info at livingbreely.com or tag me in your Instagram stories at livingbreely. I'd love to hear from you, so let's get into it. I love you. Mean it. Be kind. Be well. Be grateful. Bye.
as you know, I mentioned it earlier. I'm not sure if I mentioned how long, but I am now. Um, I was caught up in a cycle. I, I had an eating disorder, which I didn't want to admit, but I did. I had an eating disorder. Years, I went through the January 1st or first year of January, however you want to put it, syndrome. And I, I like to compare it to make an analogy with um, going back to a, a, an abusive boyfriend. It's like you get out of a bad relationship and you know the guy is toxic, right? And you start right. rebuilding yourself. And months later, out of the complete blue, he's going to send you a text message. And somehow in the back of your head, you can't help but tell yourself, that maybe he's changed, maybe he's a better person now. You get all excited, first of all. You get a little bit of an ego boost because he's reaching out to you. And your mentality is, oh, he's reaching out to me, therefore he still loves me, and maybe he's changed. And what do you do? You go for it. And you might get back together, and not even a month goes by, and he's right back at the same shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Well, the same goes with dieting. It's the exact same, the exact same mentality. And I find, unfortunately, that um, the relationship that we have with food is very often um, the same re relationship that we have with, um, with romance, love, um, men, or a woman, whatever, whatever your you preference know, is your orientation <laughs> right it's your preference your but i find that the women i've worked with tend to have very similar patterns with food and sex romance and relationships um hmm, which interesting. is interesting yeah they, so they so just to kind of recap what you were saying that these january 1st i like that you said january 1st syndrome because i think yep. that's actually like it is a syndrome. pretty pretty spot on and how it's detrimental to our mental health through these subliminal messages that marketing yeah. is sending to yep. us like yeah. fresh start like it's time to finally like make the changes that you've been wanting to to make and blah 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 so what do you recommend come okay. January 1st? Like what are some things okay. someone's like, I want to lose weight or I'm not happy with my body. Right. What, what are some like tangible, actionable steps that they can take? Okay. Well, the first thing is I'm, I'm happy that, okay, well, your, your, your listeners don't know that because this is not going to be broadcast until actually January 1st, I believe, but right. like, we're actually recording this uh, in December. So it, it's, unfortunately it's going to be too late for them to hear that, but it's, it's, it's always good advice. They'll have it for next year or whatever. But what I would recommend is to not wait until January 1st to start having a conversation with yourself. Um, we all know that comes December, we're starting to gear up for, uh, for the whole January madness, right? Right. Women know, okay, well, the holidays are coming. There's still Christmas and New Year's Eve to go through. And I know they can't tell me otherwise because I've been there, um, that they're already planning to allow them to kind of go all out on Christmas, New Year's Eve, go a little crazy, drink way too much, eat way too much. But that's okay 
because comes January 1st, I'm cleaning up my act. So the problem with that is that the idea that there's always a January 1st, there's always a month, there's always a tomorrow morning, right? To start fresh comes very addictive. In a way, it becomes your the fact that there's always a possibility of a fresh start to reinvent yourself, to um, get on a diet, to pursue the ultimate goal of losing weight and finally um, perfect body can become very addictive. And I see it all the time because when I work with women and they make that commitment to themselves to give up diets, um, part of the reason why they resist that process in the beginning is because they find themselves not having that goal to pursue anymore. And they literally ask, well, what am I going to do? If I don't have the morning to look forward to or bikini season or January 1st, well, they, they literally are at a loss because there's no more promise of a version of themselves. So you have to really take that in consideration. Part of the appeal of January 1st is so much losing the weight, is not so much getting in shape, is that what we are sold subliminally is that we can, we can become a better version of ourselves literally um uh, like a superhero version of ourselves what is that really saying that the version of ourselves is no good that it is fundamentally wrong it's not you're going to lose the weight what they're seeing is much more than that i mean look at the images look at the marketing look at the advertisement what are they showing are they just showing a girl in a bikini fabulous no 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 no. they go much farther than that they show someone who's sitting on a couch being miserable eating too much usually that person is wearing clothes that are not very attractive that the apartment that they live in is pretty crappy and suddenly the simple act of losing weight literally transposes that person into a fabulous mansion, driving a convertible car with a honky guy at her side, or girl, whatever, right? Wearing designer clothes. So the message is losing weight is the key to wealth, success, popularity. And that is the big myth there is that skinny skinny equals success love being popular etc etc we're being sold that myth and it's been like that for decades and decades and decades that if you manage to go to get your your weight down to a certain number you're not just going to get healthy no no you are going to become a rock star your entire life is going to be turned around. And we, the, these messages are so ungrated in our brains that we become convinced of that. How many times have I heard women tell me, I'll be happy when I lose the weight? But it's literally, they take it pretty far. They believe that they're going to get better relationships. They're going to 
get they're going to move into better apartments it's almost as if all these goals these personal goals that they have for themselves they don't even remotely uh try to reach them unless they've lost the weight everything revolves around that so i particularly resent the january 1st or or first week of january uh syndrome because it is sending such a strong message that everything about us is fundamentally wrong and that the the the, the magical formula thing in your life is losing weight and it really really does affect our mental health there is such a strong sense of failure, inadequacy, self-loathing. I'm a loser, essentially. Literally, I'm a loser until I lose. In that case, that would be weight. Um, and what I do, what I started doing every year, and, and even more so this year, because my presence on the social media has really gone up in the last few months, is I'm pretty much the only one who goes online and says, if that's what you choose to do, knock yourself out. I don't tell people how to live their lives, but I'm here to try and spare you. One, the money, because usually these programs are pretty expensive. They're going to try to sell you meal plans um, with a fitness uh, routine, which is usually a terrible fitness routine, by the way, completely inefficient to go with it with a bunch of um, supplements and whatnot, and it's usually not cheap. So I'm here to spare you the money, the time, the effort, and the heartbreak, because I can guarantee you that their plan in the long run is not going to work, is and there's a better way. So why don't you come take a seat with me and listen to what I have to say, and I'm going to tell you how this girl for 18 years fell in that trap of believing that all these people had a magic wand, had the miracle diet, I fell for it, I would get on it, and within a month, I was right back at the same point. So, and we see it. it also, every stat statistic shows that people sign up for a gym more than any time of the year in January and start going pretty, pretty regularly uh, for about, I think it's something like four, four to six weeks and then stop going. And then they end up paying for a gym membership that they never go to for the rest of the year. So it's a complete waste of your time, of your money, of your energy, of your self-esteem for something that is proven by science not to work. They play on your insecurities, they play on your emotions, they play on your dreams, they play on the hope that a pill or, or a meal plan is going to get you there when it has nothing to do with that. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. So one thing that does help is to actually log off um, social media for maybe the month of January stay out of the craze, which is difficult because a lot of us have um, separation anxiety when it comes to social media. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to be there and I'm definitely going to um, do my part and show people the other side of the medal. 
Yeah, that's actually a good idea. I think, like, January is a good time. Like, that's, like, kind of what I – I don't necessarily personally set New Year's resolutions or, like, goals, but I go through, like, a cleanse. Like, I like to, like, clean out my closet, like, organize my computer, kind of plan out my year, like, my Q1, Q2, Q3. But I never – I'm never, like, I'm going to go to the gym every single day for 365 days straight or, like, I'm going to do this or do that. Um, I know one year I made my New Year's resolution that I wasn't going to drink anymore. And then it just became like a thing. Like now I just don't drink ever <laughs> like because okay. I gave it up and I just felt okay. so much better. Like physically, mentally addiction runs in my family. And so I just was like, you know what, why don't I just keep this and like make this a thing? So, so yeah, but I- making, making the decision to stay away from alcohol, I think is a little more reasonable and sustainable because you can make the choice to avoid alcohol if you want to you can't make the choice to to, avoid food abstain from food right it's just not it's the ball and i really like your idea of cleansing from other things i actually that is something i i um i uh I suggest to the women who work and to women to anyone who follows me, I say, why don't you trade dieting and over-exercising for purging your closets? I organize a lot of apps uh, at the beginning of the year, um, purging your computer, purging phone, get rid of the people that you haven't called for years. If you haven't called oh, yeah. them, they haven't called you, most likely that relationship is not going anywhere. Uh, clean up your phone phones, clean up um, friends who you are not interacting with on a regular basis that you don't have a meaningful relationship with on social media. Um, Clean up, clean up the things that you're holding on to, but that are holding you back. So that is a resolution that I think is much more um, beneficial. Um, Declutter, declutter your apartment. Yes. You know? Let go of the things that you're not using. That that's I think that's a much much really get that sense of clarity from doing that. Um, so that's true, as a matter of fact. Um, yeah, I you think might do, like, we talk. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna, gonna say, say I think cleaning out things like feels better than restricting. Like, I feel like it's, like, a true sense of, like, letting go rather than, like, restrict, restrict, restrict. I can't eat this, like, because I was so bad. And, like, to kind of tie up to your point, like, yes, it's, like, physical, it's, like, financially can be draining if you go on all these diets. But also, I think at a a certain level, it's, like, emotionally draining. Like, I can't imagine, well, I mean, I guess I can to some extent, but it's like you walk around with like such a, a, a disdain for yourself and like constantly thinking like, oh, I shouldn't eat that because I ate this, you know, three days ago. Or And it's just like, how do, like, I feel like that's to me, that's not living. Like, I think if you have a healthy relationship with food, you can enjoy it to an extent. I don't know. I, I just, I've never really come across for myself this like, oh, I ate a hamburger, you know, on Tuesday and now I'm going to eat salads for the rest of the week. Like, I feel like that's just, it's it's emotionally draining. But again, you have to remember your exception, not the norm. For almost nine women out of 10, this 
constant negotiation of, oh, I ate this, therefore that, or I will allow myself this because I was good all day. That's, I hate to say it, but that's the norm for them. That's, that's oh, their every that's day. My heart. That's what goes on. I, I, well, it breaks my heart too, because I, now I've, I'm, I'm on the other side of that. And now I realize how incredibly limiting and not just that, but senseless it is to realize that there are women who um, completely miss out on, on just about everything because they're, they're too busy worrying about the size of their thighs is heartbreaking. It is breaking. Realize that we spend most of our time worrying what other people think of us uh, when really the reality is other people really don't think about us this because they're too busy thinking about themselves. So um, I, I understand how, how puzzling that can be to you, but sadly it is the daily reality of most women in this country and, and, and I want to say in most countries, it used to be a time when preoccupations with weight and um, were limited to cultures. Now it has become a white phenomenon. Um, there used to be a time when, um, you know, Latina and African cultures were not so much um, the target of, you know, marketing, uh, body image and weight issues. Now they're not immune to it anymore. As a matter of fact, I was shocked to read uh, very recently. I was reading uh, about, I, I read very regularly the statistic, the, st the statistics uh, on eating disorders and, um, body image issues in young girls in particular, because that is where my, my biggest battle is. And I was shocked by these demographics when it comes to women, because strangely enough, you'll be shocked to hear that women are not the highest demographic. And most people think that women of college age are uh, at the heck of developing uh, an eating disorder it's actually that's actually not the case um you'll be sh you'll be um i'm sure very surprised to know that uh, transgender women are the uh, highest demographic with um um and eating, with eating disorders uh, namely bulimia and binge eating uh and amongst latina girls are actually right now on the rise with cases of anorexia and binge eating, which was, I, I, I really honestly did not expect that. Uh, in the past 10 years, there's been a huge, huge um, increase in the number of uh, young girls, teenage girls and young women reported with cases of anorexia and binge eating that are of Latin descent. So eating I, with I, Latin just Latin, for Latinas, correct. Which in the past, the two demographics that were the least concerned with these issues were Latin girls and African American girls, because the culture is much more 
accepting and embracing of women uh, with curvaceous bodies and um, you know more voluptuous bodies. Well, as of the last uh, few years, uh, Latin girls are actually the ones that are now showing increase of uh, anorexia and binge eating. Wow. That's, that's just like really heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. And it also shows the, the rate at which these is, this, this issues are rampant. In just a few years, you can go from being the lowest, at the lowest end of the spectrum to the highest end of the spectrum. So how which do you- Which is mind-boggling. So how do you, I mean, because I think a lot of these issues boil down to self-love and like loving your body, mm-hmm. loving yourself. Mm-hmm. So if someone's in a place, which mind you, Delphine and I are not doctors. So, you know, disclaimer, like none of the things that we're talking about should yes. be construed as uh-huh. medical advice. And that if you are struggling with something like bulimia or anorexia, Delphine and I would suggest that you reach out to your primary care physician or someone who does have a medical license. Um, but from my understanding, in the most empathetic way, I I see that maybe women who do struggle with these with eating disorders or body dysmorphia, it boils down to this lack of self love um, for themselves and for their bodies. So if someone is struggling with one of those areas, what would be some of like the first things that you could suggest to them? Like, because I think to tell someone, you know, you have to love yourself, like okay, great. Like intellectually, we can understand that. But emotionally, like there's this cognitive dissonance between like understanding it intellectually and, and actually, you know, maintaining it and understanding it emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. That is such a deep, deep, deep question. Um, and that is usually, that is usually the aspect that every woman I think struggles with the most. And I know there's this huge movement right now going on um, about body positivity and body acceptance. And, and there's a lot of great advice coming from uh, women who uh, support the movement. At the end of the day, it, this is such an individual um, struggle. Ugh. What I... The, it, I almost want to say when, when I work with women, this is something that I tailor to every single client. This is not a one size fits all type of advice. I really can say, well, in my one-on-one program, I have this one uh, kind of advice that works for everyone. No. If there is one thing that cannot be applied to everybody and that works for everyone, it really comes down to the whole chapter of um, self-acceptance. Why? Because a lot has to do with upbringing and the messages um, that we received as children about our own self-worth. What I mean by that is what we are told um, growing up about how beautiful, how worthy, how lovable we are, 
is absolutely crucial in how we're going to develop this a sense of a sense of self. You grew up, for example, Brie, in a family where you were constantly reminded of how beautiful, how incredibly important, how loved, how capable, how you know, you, you definitely grew up in a family that, again, is more the exception than the rule. And as a result, you are now um, an adult who has an incredibly healthy sense, sense of self and, and self-confidence. My God, that's so sweet. Thank um, you. <laughs> no, really. I mean, that, that, that's what transpires from you and from, from all our conversations. I wish that were the case for every woman, but the right. messages that are constantly downloaded in our minds from family, teachers, society, friends, media, condition our minds uh, to such an extent that it can almost seem irreversible. These are messages that are so deeply rooted things um, that the work that needs to be done at some point, and I think there's a point where it becomes obvious, there's a point where every woman reaches a certain level of awareness that she really needs to do a deep, deep work on her mindset, that this is not about her body. I think we all reach a point where we understand that we can diet as much as we want or not, this is not about our bodies. This is not about the way we look, we feel. This is about our beliefs and that this is what we need to work on. And quite frankly, the first thing that I do as a coach is understand, really understand how they think, how they feel, how they relate to the world around them. And that honestly changes from one woman to another. So. Um, I need to first get a, a good understanding of what, what kind of messages did they, did they receive growing up and what kind of information are they currently receiving from the environment at work, from their partners, from um, these, well, the social media accounts that they're following. We talked about it earlier. And then together we need to really deconstruct these messages. We need to really understand that the beliefs that we hold about ourselves, about our own worth, about our own power, um, a lot of times are self-defense mechanism that are here to protect ourselves from getting hurt. And it really is a matter of understanding that these beliefs are here strictly as a shield but that as long as you understand that they're really not doing a very good job at protecting us because no matter what you do you're still going to have to go through situations in life where people are going to disappoint you they're going mm -hmm. to hurt you they're going to leave you in some cases and no matter what you do wrong or right you are going to be judged Right. That's inevitable. Yeah. So it really is a process of deconstructing the beliefs that we are and understanding that they're nothing but a shield, but one that is really not a very good job at protecting us. So we might as well let go of it. Mm -hmm. And at 
any age, you have the power to reinvent your own beliefs, your own rule. You have the power to do that. You're not five anymore. No matter what your, your parents, your teachers, anyone told you, you don't have to live by those rules because you're a grown-up woman now. You have your own right. rules. So own them. Really own them. And it's a deep mindset reset that we do together in my practice that a lot of women think is going to take forever. I've heard it many times. They tell me, but you don't understand. I've, I believe that my whole life. I said, yes, but you'll be, you'll be shocked how, how quickly you can let go because this is a part of you yearning to let go of it because they're hurting you so much mm-hmm. and you know it. Mm-hmm. So, so to answer your question, what can we do when it comes to self-acceptance? There's no magic trick. There's no um, formula. There's no ritual that you can do that is suddenly overnight going to make you feel any different about the way you do. Because it's not about the way you look. It's not about your body. It's, 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 it's about really completely transforming your beliefs and your mindset and letting go of the old way, understanding that you're only holding on to them to avoid getting hurt, but it's not working. It's really not doing a good job right. of protecting you. Yeah. Well, I think it's like a comfort thing too. It's like you've believed something yeah. for so long. This is where you're comfortable. And just I, to tie up your point about, you know, it, you're not going to go to like, it's not going to happen overnight type of thing, that mindset shift. It, that's so true. Like I always say for some people, it's like, either one of two ways. Like one is it's like a light switch. Like you just like get it. Like one day you just are like, oh, I get this Mm -hmm. now. But a majority of the times it's like a slow simmer, like a slow boil. Like you're going to feel like nothing's changing day in and day out. And then you are going to have that moment of like, wow, something's going to happen, like a random situation or a random conversation, or you're going to hear something on the radio or on the TV and be like, wow, I don't feel that like that used to trigger me or that used to make me feel so inadequate or, you know, you're going to hear things differently. And that's when you're going to realize that your mindset is shifting away from your old paradigms and the things that used to make you feel comfortable. Um, So I think it just takes a lot of patience. And before... Before I let you go, the, the, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, you're absolutely right. The epiphanies always happen in that, in that split second for everyone. And the, the, the understanding of what is holding you back is usually comes very, very clearly. But the behaviors uh, that are attached to the beliefs are going are gonna to keep happening because they're going to try on on holding you back in that place of comfort. So this is where the the frustration happens because even though you understand why you're doing what you're doing and and why it's not serving you, the behaviors don't don't stop overnight. That this is what requires a little bit of practice and and some consistency. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Right, yeah. So um, as far as 
what I was mentioning earlier. I don't think I was recording it when I was saying that, but like, okay, for me, after Halloween, because like I, I'm not much of a candy person. Like I do like candy, but I'm not like a like, oh, I'm like craving like something. Um, very rarely do I get like that. But, um, and I'm also one of those people who's like greatly impacted by sugar. Like I could have too much white sugar and like the next day I'll wake up with a zit. <laughs> like it happened right. without fail. Um, so I just try to be cautious because I just understand my body in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like with Halloween candy and then you have Thanksgiving and you have like the pies and like all of the carbs. Like I feel like a lot of women can relate to this where like anything as far as like diets or restrictions kind of goes out the window. And then you wake up on like New Year's Eve or New Year's Day and you're like, I've just eaten so much crap for the last three months. I feel like crap. So what, I mean, mentally and emotionally, what do you recommend or what would you say to someone who's maybe like, I've just binged eat, binged eight, wow, binged eight <laughs> for, binged the, yeah, for the, for over the holiday season. And now I just feel really down on myself and my pants are <laughs> feeling funny. And like, I just don't feel good in my body. Like, what would you say to them if they were your client? Okay. All right. Um, so it's a knee jerk reaction that we all have because it's, it, this is what I used to call um, uh, food hangovers back in the days when I, I had those horrible binges pretty much on a daily basis. And they really do feel like a hangover, by the way. Um, for those who, who are listening and do not overeat, but have been drunk before and have had a hangover, it really literally feels the same. The next day, you're horribly sick to your stomach. Uh, you're nauseous. You're dizzy. You're tired. You, you can't get out of bed. Your whole body hurts. And in addition to this, uh, you feel horribly guilty, mm-hmm. angry with yourself, angry with yourself. Uh, and there's this voice in your head, what I call the mean girl, right? That's just attacking you constantly in, in a loop calling you all sorts of names and then you go back and forth um, having her attacking you and then your conscious self that is trying to go um, through an elaborate plan of how you're going to go about um, fixing the damage and rescuing yourself. So it's absolute madness. Your mind is racing. On the one hand, you are you're you're yelling at yourself in your mind, calling yourself all sorts of names. You did it again. You're so stupid. You're so weak. You're so lazy. You're so you you name it. Okay, we've all been there. I can't believe you did that again. Look at you. Blah 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 blah. And then you have the other side of you who's going. Okay, starting tomorrow, this is what you're doing. The sergeant drill, right? So, and you're caught in the middle. And you don't know what to do and you you just want the whole thing to stop. And why is this happening? Because we're going in complete panic mode over something that is really not as bad as we make it to be. The problem is we're so brainwashed uh, when it comes to food. We've been made to think that food is so evil, that food is so bad, that if we eat too much, it's going to be instant death, right? Well, consider this. It takes 30 
500 calories to gain a point, a, a pound, I'm sorry, to gain a pound. That's, that's about five meals. Even if you went overboard for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, did you really have the equivalent of five meals in one sitting? Probably not. Probably not. I did not know that 3,500 calories equals one pound. Yeah. Well, every diet uh, website or a fitness website will tell you you need to cut down 500 calories a day in order to lose a pound per week. I'm not lying. Go online, look it up. That's what they'll all tell you. My fitness pal, you name it, will tell you for you to, to lose a pound per week, you need to cut down 500 calories a day. That's 3,500 calories per week, right? Right. It takes literally 3,500 calories in order for you to, to lose a pound. In, therefore, you would need 3,500 calories extra in order for you to gain a pound of fat, right? Which is uh, about the equivalent of five meals. Since a meal is roughly... Well, I don't know. It all depends on what people eat, but that's, 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 a, that's an average. That's an average. Nobody, even if you're going really crazy, eats the equivalent of five meals. That's just insane. You might eat twice as much as you normally would in one sitting. I believe that. Okay. But unless yeah. you have a serious, serious disorder as I used to, and then, yeah, believe me, I was able to eat easily hands down five meals in one sitting but when you're eating the equivalent of five meals you're also going to be extremely sick most people yeah i was going to say who don't grow have up. the practice no let me tell you most people who don't have a disorder and who don't have the practice of doing this on a regular basis would probably be violently sick so let's put things in perspective here um you went a little crazy during the holidays did you really go that crazy probably not no so that's the first thing you need to put in perspective the second thing is what you are experiencing the next day is a food hangover which can really make you really really depressed and then we have a tendency to see everything all everything is black or white. There's no gray. There's no in between. It's very extreme. It's, I have to go on an extreme diet. That's usually the, the knee, knee jerk reaction we're having when truly what we're, what, what is really happening is that we're having water retention from uh, the sodium, the salt that we have uh, consumed the day before and bloating. So if you just try and relax and take it easy, right? And give yourself a break. Try not to beat yourself up. And what you really want to work on is more of the internal dialogue that's going on. And I, and I, right. have, some, um, I have some great, great trainings available for that. They're, they're, they're essentially um, downloadable trainings that people can get on my, on my website. I'm, I'm working on them. They'll be available in a couple of days um, that they can download. Um, they're very inexpensive. They play them with headphones. They're going to work them through the steps of how to calm their minds down. All right. So there's one that actually uh, walks people through how to actually stop cravings in their tracks before it even happens. 
And there's another one that teaches people how to actually, um, you know, work on the, the inner critic, the inner dialogue, the voice you're hearing that is constantly bullying you and attacking you on a daily basis. Well, that would be something very, very useful to do because what you really want to work on is the inner um, monologue that's going on that is actually making you go in panic mode and creating anxiety because physiologically what's really happening is really not that bad. You're just suffering from water retention and bloating do not get on the scale by all means do not get on the scale because what you're going to see is not accurate it's not reflecting what's really happening if you give your body a break and let it do what it knows best to do it's going to go right back to where it was before the holidays on its own the worst thing you could do is worry and stress out then you're going to be releasing uh, all the hormones that are making it so difficult for you to actually balance things out. Um, you just want to take it easy, rest if you can, um, take in a lot of fluids to help you flush uh, the water retention. Don't eat. The next day, if you feel very nauseous, very bloated, very you know, you're still full from the day before, then don't eat. Don't eat until you're hungry again. And if you're not hungry for a whole day, if you're not hungry until the next day, at, I don't know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon, then don't eat. Just listen to uh, your, your physical signals. Right. Well, yeah. I don't own a scale, so I definitely Perfect. Won't Good. I don't think I buy one. I've never bought one before. I maybe I think I have like a kitchen scale to like measure for like cuz like some recipes are like, you know, 5 ounces of this. I'm like I don't know what that is. Um but I don't own like a scale to like weigh myself. I only I'll weigh myself when I understand the scale. I I've never only... understand the scale. And mind you, I I used to have one and I would get up on it um up to 3 times a day, but you know, but th when you think about it, you use a scale to uh, to weigh a pound of meat at the butcher shop, or you don't weigh people. It's 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 silly. You get on three different scales at three different places, and you're going to be three different weights. This mm -hmm. is I keep trying to tell my ladies this: the scale is the least accurate piece of equipment that you could possibly own, and it conditions your entire mindset for the day you're going to get in the scale on the scale in the morning and that's what go, is going to um, determine how you feel about yourself that that's that's just ridiculous it's a number yeah i mean the same it's goes a number I mean, I'm sure we could talk about this for hours, like even clothes, like I'm like five different sizes at like all the different stores. Yeah, like I'm, so am I. I, I'm like, uh, I'll buy like an extra large at Forever 21 and then like a small at Macy's. I'm like, okay, like how does that even, how does that even make sense? Like, especially the dress sizes and like pant sizes, like there, I have like size zero jeans. I have size four jeans. I have size eight jeans. Like it's just really, really bonkers the way that women kind of have to deal with these things. But one last thing yeah, before we go, and this is something that I've noticed about myself, is I will stress eat. And I think a lot of women mm -hmm. also find this. Like if I am stressed, I like, I don't crave sugar. I crave like 
I want like potato chips. I want like popcorn. Like I want something like crunchy. Um, that's just like a craving. But I know for like women, stress eating is very much a thing. Um, I'm sure it is for men too. But right. what would you what What are your thoughts on like stress eating? Well, it's a distraction. Okay, for you that would be eating. For a lot of people, it's smoking, drinking, shopping online. Um, it's a distraction. You have to understand that whatever situation is going on in your life uh, and that is causing an emotion that you are having a hard time coping with, mm-hmm. consciously or subconsciously, usually it's much more consciously than we want to admit, right? Um, there, what that does is there's going to be a fight or flight reaction from the brain from the mind right because this is a very very unpleasant feeling that almost feels threatening am i making sense to you no absolutely because i also i've talked about this i have anxiety and sometimes with my anxiety when it's really high i misconfuse that with like stress anxiety and then i'm like oh i just want like i need a lot i need something to eat like right now okay so So, no that totally makes sense to me it's okay great and i it when I try to break it down to, to some people, this may sound extreme, but anxiety, fear, loneliness, um, inadequacy, these are all feeling or, or trauma, past trauma from your childhood, your youth, um, somebody abusing you, beating you, leaving you, sexually abusing you, whatever that might be. These are all um, emotions and feelings that are perceived by the brain are as deeply painful, therefore, as a threat. And the brain, I'm going to try and summarize as, as much as I can, there's essentially two parts of the brain that really matter when it comes to decision-making with uh, compulsive behaviors. That is the, um, the part of the brain that is... Um, how can I go oh it's where you can't see me usually I try to show it visually uh, <laughs> that is right at the um right behind your neck you know what I what I mean right at the root of your hair at the top the very top of oh, your like neck the nape of your neck correct the nape of your neck very thank you you see where if you put your 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 fingers back there there's almost like a little hollow um area that you can feel okay right beneath that area you have what we call the animal brain or the Mm -hmm. subcortex um that would be the 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 back part of the brain and then there's the prefrontal cortex which is right literally right in on the front of your head right below your uh, forehead okay these two parts of the brains have very very different functions the the prefrontal cortex is essentially the thinking brain the, the part that analyzes, that has ideas, opinions, um, it's you. That's the part that makes you who you are. Right? right. The animal brain, on the other hand, does not think. It's not its job. It's the part that is very compulsive, right? Mm-hmm. That, that reacts on an impulse. Let's say you are being chased by a bear uh, you're not going to sit down and start thinking about, hmm, what should I do? No, you get up and run. Well, that's the part of the brain that is fired up 
when you are under threat in situations of danger. That's the animal brain. Okay. When we develop very compulsive behaviors, the part of the brain that clearly is, is activated is the um, animal brain, the, the subcortex. What happens? Um, situations that are difficult for us to cope with, that's the animal brain taken over. And it's immediately going to be perceived as something threatening, possibly even deadly, because it's uncomfortable. We have to avoid it at all costs. Can I just hold on one second? I, for sure. Just, just to make this more, put, put this into perspective, when she's saying that these situations might feel like life-threatening or dangerous or things like that, it doesn't have, that's not the actual reality of the situation. Your boss could come into your office and like start, you know, telling you that you you messed up on a project. Your brain is telling you that this is a life-threatening situation, but in reality, it's not. And so there's like this, there's a difference between what's, what's actually happening, what the logical thing is happening versus how your body and your brain is perceiving it as a threat, as danger, when Correct. really like your boss could just be, you know, an asshole or a dick or Correct. whatever. <laughs> like, Correct. And thank well, you for clarifying. There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's reality and there's perception, but mm-hmm. in terms of evolution, uh, your, your brain has certain functions. One of them is to right. make sure to keep you alive, which is the exact same reason why dieting will never work because the animal brain is always going to fight back and make sure that you don't starve yourself, which is the reason why we have cravings in the first place. The animal brain is being fired up. And after so many days of um, cutting out food groups or, or, or cutting, it starts reacting and saying, okay, well, what's going on here? We're starving. We might die. Let me make sure that this girl is eating what she needs. And it makes you exactly the things that you were avoiding, which is so obnoxious to people who diet. They don't understand. They're like, I don't understand. I'm, I was doing so good. Well, you can diet all you want. The bottom line is you can't outsmart nature and you cannot outsmart a perfect machine, namely in your body that was designed to survive. If you think you can arm wrestle with with brain that whose primary job is to make sure you stay alive. Good luck with that. I guarantee you, you're 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 not going to win that. You're not going to win that battle. It's always going to win in the end, which is why sports. When I have those cravings, it doesn't matter what I do. I can come up with all the most elaborate plans and tricks and all the the, the advice that they give in magazines and online nothing works. And she's correct. She's right. Nothing works. Widing is perceived as a very severe threat. And the same goes for anxiety and for trauma and, and, and all situations that you feel you cannot cope with on your own. As you just explained, it's not an actual threat, but it's perceived that if you introduce um, a behavior, eating, drinking, smoking, gambling, shopping, that immediately um, brings comfort, calm, relaxation. Well, the problem is the, the behavior in question is going to be associated with relief and with safety. 
So there's, there's a correlation here between the behavior and a sense of safety, mm-hmm. a bond essentially that is almost undoable. It's almost impossible for you to go and tell the brain to stop doing these things because it's perceived as safety, survival, literally survival. It triggers a survival reaction, which is why we end up developing um, impulsive compulsive behaviors, OCDs, and all sorts of addictions and, um, and compulsions. So the, the, there's all sorts of techniques to um, help people with addictions, but unfortunately, most of the time they fail because they focus too much on the object of addiction. As you've noticed how people with drug addictions go to rehab and they end up relapsing and going back. Well, the same goes for um, women with eating disorders. I've, I've seen so many of them come to my practice and say, I've gone to this uh, rehabilitation center or treatment center and it didn't work. I felt better for a period of time and then I relapsed. Well, of course, why? Because they focus on the food. The problem is not the food. Well, obviously you have a problem with food, but the actual problem is not the food. The problem is the brain pattern that needs to be broken because food has been introduced as a coping mechanism that the brain is now associating with survival. So as long as it perceives whatever you're doing in your case, you're saying when I have anxiety, stress, eat, well, of course, it's survival. So this is what I work on. And I'm not the only one, by the way. There, there, there are more and more um, um, eating disorders, um, eating behavior coaches that are starting to use brain hacks and neuroscience as a way to rewire the brain and essentially get in there and talk directly to the brain and say, you don't need to do that anymore. We don't need that to survive. It's okay. We're not under attack. We're not under threat. And it's okay to let go. And the way we do that is by essentially replacing the behavior with a healthier one and reinforcing uh, the new habit by repetition. Repetition, repetition, repetition is the key. We introduce a new behavior and we keep on doing it daily until the brain gets it, that it's okay to let go of the old one. And it works. It absolutely works undeniably. And it's actually a very, very quick process. So I hope that answers your question. No, that was perfect. I love how like thorough you are in answering these questions, but I wanted to say thank you for coming back on. I don't know what I'm going to do with both of these because I feel like they're equally as important. Important, maybe I'll post both of them like hey. separate, um, because I think especially for women and especially around the holidays, like these types of conversations are so important. And I'm so glad that you were the person that I brought on to like talk about these things. I'm so glad we connected.